Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Tallulah from Lewisham, and you're listening to Dane Baptiste Questions Everything. My question is, what would you rather? One night of passionate lovemaking with your ideal partner or a lifetime of security and commitment with your best friend who you don't find very attractive. Good luck with that one, guys. Okay, here comes the show. And remember, question everything. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Dane Baptiste Questions Everything, a podcast with myself, comedian, writer, and occasional actor, Dane Baptiste, my producer friend, Howard Cohen, a.k.a. The Hizzer, and a mix of very special guests posed the question... Oh, my goodness, let's do that again. I didn't even know how to say hello. <laughs> it's all right, Dane. No, let's just play on. Hello, listeners. I don't need to say my yeah. hello every you, time. You do, because... It, it was different this time. Yeah, I'm finding it hard to keep original, Dane. It's fine. That, that's more original. Let's carry they'll, they'll on. Keep, they'll keep the suspect foul play. <laughs> I'm going to do it again. <laughs> no, it keeps it fresh, mate. Let's keep going. <laughs> Okay, yeah, that's true. You, you know how Howard sounds, whatever, guys. Exactly. In case you're wondering, where's Howard? There's Howard. Yeah. And we are talking everything, uh, including... We're talking everything, including Tallulah, good name, from Lewisham's question. Would Great you area. rather? Yeah, and a good area. Would you rather one night of passion with your ideal partner or a lifetime of commitment with your friend who you don't fancy? I'm married and... Mm, yeah, this com- is a trick. I mean, that's a... I mean, that's a that's a tough question, I'd say. I mean, if it's your friend you don't fancy, does that what does the commitment involve? Just hanging out with them? Well, basically, basically they're saying one night of hot, hot dream sex versus a lifetime of kind of average non-plussed sex, I guess, is what that question is from Tallulah. Um, uh, well, that's in that case, then I would go for the former, then a night of passion with your ideal partner. Because right. then you have a memory that you can kind of refer back to. Whereas if you're just going through life, just going through the motions with someone you're not attracted to, that sounds like it's a lot worse. Yeah. I, I, you know what? I think there's pitfalls to both of those ones there, Tallulah. Um, thanks for making me contemplate my very existence. Luckily for you, you've married someone that you is your Do ideal partner. Do find attractive. Yeah, yeah exactly. And is, your so. ideal, and is your ideal partner, so yeah. you don't have to worry about it. But, I mean, I think I'd rather have one night of passion and something to talk about with my ideal partner yeah. than a lifetime of commitment. Because what is a lifetime, really? I mean... But a lifetime of unrequited love or a lifetime of like a lack of fulfillment would be a lot more difficult than mm. just being able to have the memory of because I can say for example, like if you think about your best day you had mm. like at school, that's much better than you remembering all the other days you, you participated in the curriculum. So good point. Good there's always that one good day you have at school, maybe one day where you'd have to wear a uniform than all the other dreary days where everything was pretty fucking normal so I Tallulah I'm going to go with the former one night of passion with my ideal partner there you go Tallulah and uh, suffice to say on this podcast we ask and answer all the questions don't we Dave absolutely uh, no question is too big too small too highbrow too lowbrow or too probing so if you do like the show please rate and review it on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify and you'll never miss an episode or you can subscribe to us on Acast the world's biggest podcast network we can hit all of the very special questions being asked and answered by our very special guests and with that 
being said on today's show is an acclaimed British comedian and writer. As a hugely respected stand-up, he has performed six much-celebrated solo shows at the Edinburgh Fringe, delivered tour support for Ricky Gervais in arenas across the globe, and opened for Bill Burr at the Royal Albert Hall. He has also made TV appearances on Stand-Up Central, Comedy Central at the Comedy Store, The Stand-Up Sketch Show, Friends of the Series of Vice, and acted in the Netflix sitcom Afterlife. He has released two stand-up albums, Hail Mary and Support Act, and will be on tour in 2022 with his new show, So Be It. Please welcome to the show the very well-dressed for those of you who are visually impaired because it's a podcast so that's all of us please welcome the very well-dressed and very dapper sean mclaughlin well thank you very much hello everyone uh i'm actually i'm actually not as well-dressed as it seems i'm just still wearing my coat because i'm i'm doing this in my old flat i'm currently moving and so i'm basically sitting on the only piece of furniture in my place that i'm leaving but the internet isn't in my new place yet so i'm doing it (laughs) and it's and it's freezing and it's basically like a crack den so i'm still wearing my coat it's weird how quickly houses can go from domiciles to crack houses when you're moving houses it's that transient period whereby you're sitting in some kind of crack house (laughs) and thinking about what your new life's going to be like it is pretty it is pretty remarkable isn't it like it's um it's an absolute. It's an absolute. Uh, it's an absolute shithole where I am right now. I mean, I can't believe I lived here for three and a half years. Like, uh, but that's just because it's empty, isn't it? When it's full of stuff, you you kind of value the stuff brings value to the empty rooms, no? Yes, yes. It's definitely a, well, or at least it makes it a different type of shithole. You know? Right. Yeah. 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 Um, and uh, it, I mean, moving house is a weird thing. Have you, have you kind of gone into the the rooms? And like had a moment of nostalgia about things that have happened in that now empty room, or have you? Are you going to do that after the show? I don't. I don't. I, I, I've not reached that point yet. Right. I've not reached the point where I'm enjoying any of it. But we had like an. I've got a nice two week overlap between moving, which right. has been good. But I've been. We've been so lazy and haphazard with it. We, we may as well have just done it all on the same day anyway. Right. Um, but yeah, I hate it. I hate moving. I hate. Me I hate mo- it. I hate it so much that it kind of, I don't want this to sound the wrong way. It kind of makes me wish I was homeless because I mean, <laughs> people, people, look, I, I support homeless charities. Yeah. I'm anti-homelessness. I need to make that very clear. Yeah. But let's not pretend there's no pros to that lifestyle. Yeah. yeah. Free. There's, there's some, there's a I think most, most of the, most of the drawbacks of being homeless because um, really homelessness, I think, is more about being a nomad in a city that's capitalist focused. If you were homeless, but you had access to like, you know, uh, flora and f- f- like flora, I wouldn't say fauna, but more flora, like veg- maybe flora, flora as in the, the spread. The spread, or- yeah, yeah, as well as uh, various <laughs> vegetables and pulses and fruits yeah. to mm. use that spread with. And there were like green spaces, a lot more green spaces that were owned by private interests then being a homeless would be the same as being nomadic, really. You could travel to somewhere, you set up. I mean, you know, so... I feel like a lot of homeless people don't know that. I think I've never heard them ask me for flora or fauna uh, in any Well, because most homeless people are living under the yoke of capitalism, whereby it's like they need to get spare change. But, I mean, what's going to happen when we become cashless? I should probably save questions. But (laughs) for for homeless people, because homeless is a socially created species, and it's normally people that can't just conform to what... uh, we constitute to be regular life. But mm. it's like, if, if, if you had like a mountain, which like I said, was rich in vegetation and had caves and stuff, then being, not having a home wouldn't make a difference. And also most people don't really own a home. You just occupy one and you're either paying a mortgage or you're paying rent. And even at the end of that, especially in Britain, if you uh, if it's leasehold, 
you will never own the land that the house is built upon. So who? Re- so most of us are really homeless when you think about it, Sean. Yeah, I guess that's true. I think um, I agree with what you're saying, but I think you've come at it from a different angle because when I was saying I want to be homeless, it was more like I can't be asked to pack all my sponges. Yeah, neither can I. Neither yeah. can I. <laughs> I have to give you so much uh, <laughs> logic behind it because I can't be asked either. When I first moved into my old flat, I used cardboard boxes as windows because I could not be asked to wait until ikea could restock their curtains and stuff and yeah yeah yeah. i was not going to go and like look in a is it called a curtain shop i imagine it's not like what would they call that like a a, an uh interior decorator yeah i'm with you man it's such a fucking ball ache i hate it i hate it it's almost over i do i do wish there was sort of um because also, I don't like that the, the, everyone wants you to have personality. All these furniture shops, they go, oh, express yourself. I just want to go, is there a part of this shop where I could just buy a room? Yeah. And you just come, I don't want any of myself in it. I just want it to, I want my I want my home to feel like a travel lodge in North Korea. Like, I don't want any personality. Yeah. Just, it sounds like you want to live in a crack house with central heating and, and running water. To be honest... I, I think I do, so maybe I'm actually yeah. going to stay in this place. Yeah, just, just squat it out, baby. Just squat it out. <laughs> well, we've got to a great conclusion there, but it's probably time for a question, isn't it, Dane, as the format of this show dictates? Absolutely. Sean, as our very esteemed guest, we welcome you on the show to ask our first question, which we'd like to discuss for 15 minutes. And then my producer friend, Howard Cohen, to his or here, would like to pose a question to you as well, which we'd like to discuss for the same amount of time. And then in a surprising twist of fate, I would like to ask you a question that we ask for 50, discuss for 15 minutes of some change. And then we can let our listeners know about where they can find you and donate to your homeless charity, which yes. I imagine has begun at the beginning of this episode. Yeah, I've set, I've set up the Patreon already on the slide. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> my question is, and it has changed as a result of how I'm feeling, because I am more hungover than I deserve to be because I had two pints last night and one can of beer and I've woken up feeling like I've been doing tequila all night. And I watched the untouchables last week. And so this has kind of formed this question. And I think Dane, given your backdrop, this could be the perfect question for you. Do you think Britain would benefit from prohibition? Oh, that's a really good question. Yeah, it's a great question. Just to say, listeners, Dane has a, a case of booze behind him, basically. Yeah. Uh, yeah, very nice, some good, looks like some bourbons there. Yeah, um, so you, you got you got your vodkas. Yeah. Yeah. You've got you've got your uh I think you've got your bourbon I got rums there, a couple yeah. tequilas and some mezcal. Then I've got your, your various cognacs mm. and uh and one bottle of champers for Christmas. Lovely. It is like a bootleggers Valhalla, pretty much. <laughs> yeah. Sure, yeah, yeah. Sean, uh, your relationship with alcohol—how would you describe that? Uh, <laughs> you, would you would would prohibition appeal to you? Well, the thing is, I I love, mm-hmm. I really enjoy it. I love drinking. I love all of it. Um, all the drinks. I do love all the drinks, and I'm, I I think I've got away with it. I mean, I, I Dane, I'm sure you are, know as well as I. Comedy is a bit of an enabler as a job. Oh, easily, yeah. It's, it's like, the first, like what crypto is to like uh, right wing uh, gamers. <laughs> yeah, alcohol, alcohol is to comedians. That yeah, is, yeah, yeah. That was our uh, that was our currency. Yeah, yeah. Was the markets? And you know, I've I've known a lot of people who've gone uh, into the deep end, and I've never gone that far. I've definitely flirted with it at times. I do love it, but I do 
I think the alcohol culture, as much as I'm a partaker in it, I do wonder how damaging it is to all of us, particularly in Britain. I feel like in other countries, you go to places like on the continent in Europe and you know, they drink a lot, but they they can deal with it. You know, they've got they've got self-respect, I think, at their core. Yeah. And I think we've got, you know, cheap lager, no self-respect, kebab shop windows that are begging to be punched. I mean, what they maybe a year with no booze would do us would do us good. I don't know. I thought I thought I'd throw that question. I out I think there. it's a brilliant question. I also think the film The Untouchables is uh, is an interesting thing because it, it, it's so not about booze. It, yeah, yeah. The, as a film, <laughs> it's weird, isn't it? Because it is about the, yeah. the the booze laws of the time. I mean, that, that entire that entire era was fueled by the uh, Volstead Act, wasn't it? The Prohibition. And, mm. Yeah, and you have De Niro as Al Capone in that film, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, yes, family. Um, yeah, that right, Sean? I think it's that right. That is right, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. De Niro's yeah. in it. And, and Kevin Costner in his pomp. Um, Good-looking good boy, Kevin Costner. Oh, that's, oh, why he was a, that's why he was a top dog in the early Ooh. 90s. Remember, it was like Untouchables, The Bodyguard. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. And then he was... JFK? Like, JFK, and then everybody was like, this guy is untouchable. Would you mm. like a blank check? And he said, yes, please. I'd like to make Waterworld. Uh, field, f- <laughs> fields of Dreams? Fields, fields of Dreams? Oh, yeah, Fields of Dreams. And uh, is it Tin Cup? Like, yeah. listen, oh, Dances with Wolves, remember? That was the one, wasn't it? Man, he had, he, he had, for a guy who I genuinely wouldn't recognise if he walked down the street, <laughs> he had some remarkably big hits. Yeah, yeah, at one point, he was the man. Like, there was a point in the early 90s, it was like Kevin Costner and I think even Robert Redford was having a great run. Harrison and Ford was Harrison still, Ford. still mm. kicking it. And also Gerard Depardieu. Yeah. Yeah. Some yeah. great some great names there. All probably name. who like a drink, I imagine. Um yeah. Yeah. I mean, now, I, 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 I think Sean, I think we have a massively unhealthy relationship with alcohol in this country. I think uh, as someone who and the public uh, and everyone in the world probably knows now, I've occasionally smoked a joint in my time and feel, whoa. I know, hey, crazy, whoa, crazy. Whoa, do you want to come no, join me at a crack sir. house? But like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but oh, right. like I, th- I, I look at my relationship with that and think, oh, that's kind of probably not that unhealthy, actually. Like, it's an occasional, very rare, rare thing. Uh, I kind of have a similar relationship with alcohol. Uh, not, it's not like a daily thing. It's not even a weekly thing, really. It's like a, uh, oh, it's a celebration, an occasion to do something, you know. Yeah. So, but like, so I don't have as many problems as what it appears like if I drove through London on a Friday or Saturday or Thursday or Wednesday or any night, really. If yeah, we're honest, yeah. uh, you know, the people people have no ability um, for moderation. That's 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 what you. I think really is the issue, is it not? Yeah. Like, particularly in this country, people can't moderate, and therefore. What's what's actually legal is alcohol, and it descends into this fucking disgusting mayhem that we all yeah, feel yeah. a bit ashamed of, right? Well, I sort of look, looked this up briefly. Well, I had the idea for the question, and I just looked up prohibition, and it's it's interesting how many. I mean, there's a lot of countries where you can't buy booze because of religious reasons, but South Africa, I think, brought it in during COVID. Because <laughs> they really? said they reckon forty percent of hospitalizations in South Africa are linked to people drinking too much, yeah. which feels—I wow. mean—that's even higher than here, I'd assume. I mean, it's higher than here, but it feels about accurate. Like, it's—it's <laughs> it's a, it's a phenomenon I've noticed in most ant- Antipodean countries, yeah, where you have uh, this large contingent of uh, British expats or settlers 
they have serious problems with alcohol because they also have lockout laws in Australia as well. Yeah, that's right. That's right. The The only country I've ever been to that I felt was as chaotic, if not more so, than Britain with booze was Australia. I, yeah. I went to Perth for a week and it was like the end of the world. It was like a yeah. meteorite was about to hit the way people were acting. <laughs> yeah, um, they, it's, it's, it's almost like people are, it, it, it's a split personality. Yeah, like it's crazy. drinking that takes place there. And, and, and it's, it's even more strange, I think, because like, you know, you go to Mediterranean countries in like, you know, uh, in Greece and Cyprus, like, you know, their drinks are like, like grappa or like ouzo, which are mm. really, really strong drinks. Mm. And yet, whereas we're more beer and wine people in places like Australia and the UK. Yeah. And people still get much more drunk and much more aggressive than they would if they're drinking actual stronger spirits. I mean, it, pro- it probably comes up to the core about what we are as people as opposed to the booze. Mm. But I am someone who always will treat the symptom and not the cause. So yeah. I don't ever really want to dig deep about myself or the country that I'm in. So, But, but you guys, could you, if I said to you now, that's it, booze is gone, how would you be about that? I am meeting someone for a drink in one hour. So, I, <laughs> so, so, fuck, so fuck you, Howard. What if you didn't drink with that friend? What if you just had a nice time with that friend? Well, I, I mean... I could, we could have a coffee. I mean, coffee culture, I thought, I thought the rise of coffee culture in Britain would be great because it yeah. would mean finally we had another thing that was socially acceptable to do. But all that's done is given us even more energy when we do get to the booze. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's like just having cheaper cocaine. Yeah, exactly. exactly. So what we need is, is... Socially acceptable cocaine is, is how uh, the new coffee... And also, coffee used to just be like a... Because obviously being British and being somewhat repressed, coffee was the Western way of like of, of offering sex, wasn't it? We'd like to mm. come up for coffee. Yeah. And so it, I think what happened was that guys were like, oh, you actually want coffee? Is, is, was that supposed to happen? Yeah. So you've seen <laughs> the rising coffee shots where they're like, people actually like coffee? That was not my plan at all. In answer to your question, Sean, I would say yes, Let's ban booze, but I feel it should be done as part of a kind of international reset of humanity where we're just going to take a couple of years, we're going to fuck off social media as well for just a couple of years, and we're just going to, no booze, no social media, just like a few things. I don't know what else you can put on that list. And let's just, let's just, Try and let's we get, put James Corden on the list. <laughs> let's you just say two years, you're not getting if, any more work. If, if you so insist. The thing, the thing is, though, again, it's like it's like you're saying about treating the um, symptom and not the cause. I think when you think about the fact that alcohol is at its, well, I mean, it's a naturally occurring thing in nature, isn't it? That you know, uh, fruit ferments and it produces ethanol mm. as like a, a byproduct, and so alcohol has been around as long as society has. Mm. So is I think there's some to be some kind of social link or social disposition that drives us towards alcohol in these countries. So it's the reason why I'd mentioned like South Africa and Australia as well having serious drinking problems is, you know, these are still two big nations that are founded under, you know, colonial exploitation, you could argue. And sometimes for people to witness that or to, to witness that or to be part of it or to even perpetuate it, you need to be able to drown your sorrows mm. or sterilize the internal wounds that might be caused from you hurting other human beings. And alcohol can be very useful for that. And, and I feel like we in the UK have a relationship with alcohol the way Americans have a relationship with oil and petrochemicals. 
and that they understand that it's through the discovery of things like oh having control over these resources yeah yeah able to rise to a uh advantageous or dominant position in the world and so that's taught other americans that if you have access to oil or petrochemicals then you can, can transcend class and stuff as well whereas here where class structure is a lot more rigid like alcohol is probably one of the things that's an example of a great leveler that we can all enjoy drink on one level or another and it's something that's shared across classes so much so that like we probably use alcohol as a way of negating, you know, our, I suppose, our disillusionment with our class system. So, Maybe. Because you know, the reason why I say that is because one of the things that's considered part of pub etiquette is that you don't discuss uh, politics or religion in the pub, hmm. even though these are two of the biggest things that govern, like, the mechanics of our society and human behavior and our, and our culture is dictated by religious doctrine as well as, like, you know, political belief as well and a lot of the time when you drink that's when you tell the truth so it's very interesting that we have a culture where we're like when you're at your most vulnerable and probably your most honest you're not allowed to or you're not supposed to discuss the things that actually control your lives which in many instances drive you to drink or to uh yeah get fucked up in the first very true that's very true it's very true i think yeah we've got a long way to go until we have a world in which People's de- it's the dependency bit, right? I definitely look at it just go like, fuck me. Probably need to calm down a little bit. Every yeah. Day, you know, like it's, that, um, that would be I tell, I tell you which, what I like. The, there's Venezuela have prohibition one day every four years, which is the 24 hours before uh, an election. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> you are not allowed to drink. You're not allowed to, All the bars are shut. You're not allowed to sell alcohol. That is a great idea. I, I, I wonder how different British politics would be if you couldn't drink, if you had to just deal with who you are on the day before an election. Yeah, I think you find a lot of politicians who are also unable to drink would find themselves kind of wanting as well. <laughs> so I, I, think, I think it's a really good idea. I, I think having complete sobriety in a country which in many ways has been forged in alcohol and soaked mm. in alcohol as if it was some kind of Christmas pudding would be very difficult. Um, but I think having days of sobriety, if had nothing else to market as the opportunity for people to appreciate how alcohol works might be the way to go. I think, I think it's hard because we've already tried dry, dry January. Mm. And I think some people, when they hear people postulate about, I'm not drinking for a whole month, they take that as a point of them for them to be contrarian to be like well so what why stop if you mean to carry on i'm going to drink even more because you're a prick yeah, um, yeah. Uh, we, we tend to use alcohol as a crutch in that respect anyway or you know we go if you don't laugh you'll cry so have a drink or you know we have a lot of maxims like or affirmations like keep calm and carry on which kind of encourage us to continue with our our poor habits but hmm. I, I think if we were to ban alcohol in the uk i think we would definitely see a rise in bootlegging and criminality associated with the illegal trafficking of alcohol. I think, as you saw in America, undoubted, undoubted. I mean, well, that's what happened in this. I mean, that's what the untouchables actually bring it back. It's basically about how, how legitimized the black market was as a result of prohibition. Well, JFK's family themselves, the president, they were bootleggers. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, apparently NASCAR was also discovered because bootleggers used to soup up their cars so they could escape um, <laughs> oh, really? from various states and stuff as well. So, I mean, 
What a good question, though, right, Dane? That's a, that's well, a that was that's a winning question. And oh, good. Li- listeners, we'd love to hear your uh, thoughts on if we should, uh, if you'd be happy to not have any booze around for a bit. I think I think it'd be fun to take it out of society and then maybe bring it back in and see how mad we go. But um, I mean, I'm not sure, Howard, if fun would be the word I would use. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. some people would take it very. I think some people's entire personalities are rooted in, in alcohol. I remember that the song Chumbawamba was basically about alcoholism. Yeah. And yep. it, well, it's not really a positive song. It's yeah. more about someone who's obviously drunk themselves to the point of delusion where they're like, yeah, I might get knocked down, but I get back up again. You won't keep me down. And we all know with continued alcohol yeah. abuse of taking a whiskey drink and a vodka drink and a lager drink and a cider drink, you're probably going to go down at some point. Yeah. yeah. So I assume, I assume the Chumbawamba would be on the front line against prohibition if it was to come in because the <laughs> royalties like, yeah. they'd lose would just yeah. you know exactly really, yeah. yeah yeah there's even there's there, i mean there are songs like there's even a song called there's like three or four songs called tequila yeah so, yeah um <coughs> red we, wine by ub40 can you imagine could you imagine there'd be a lot there'd be <laughs> a lot be, of naff 90s bands yeah. really fighting together they right would. said fred would finally be part of a bigger, bigger <laughs> collective <laughs> they'd have to leave <laughs> so i've got uh, a bit of a uh, i don't know if you could link this to booze really for my question um but you could try if you wanted um but I was thinking about last time I saw you perform, Sean. It was a Soho theatre, um, and you did you did Hail Mary show, which is a, a great show. And you and Dane, I mean, I was I was thinking to myself, how many gigs do you think you've done in your life? Like, that's not the question, by the way. That's the pr- the pre question bit. Uh, if you had to guess, like a random number, um, like I assume we're talking. Even on a budget, quality is non negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at Burrow.com ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Thousands. Yeah. And thousands of... I wouldn't wouldn't even know where to begin. Yeah. Yeah. Between maybe three and... Four thousand, three and five thousand. Yeah, know. that's like that's like a crazy thing, right? And, but and, also depends what you consider a gig. I mean, I've yeah, done, exactly. Yeah, there you go. I've done, I've done a lot of all, standing on a box in a yeah. corner. Once we start doing the, once we start doing the audit, there's going to be some discrepancies in what. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, But yeah, yeah, let's say you've done thousands and thousands of gigs, and that's kind of you know predominantly you know what you guys would consider your your job, right? And I was thinking, uh, as because I was uh, talking to a friend of mine who brought something up, and it made me think, God, do you ever think? about retiring uh, as in or or more importantly do you ever think about your retirement um because i feel like there's this era we're living through where people of our age range 
everything's not what it was, right? When people used to retire, I don't know. Just, the world just seems to be shifting. What do you think about when you think about, about one day retiring? I'm not asking you to retire, obviously. I um, fantasize about retiring from comedy most days. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm going, fuck you all. See you later. I'm opening a bar. Nice. Oh, no, I've brought... Don't open a bar. I just have one of these motherfuckers walk back in here being like, hey, buddy, could we do an open mic night here? And you'd be like, ah. <laughs> just, just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but in terms of like, do you mean retirement as in being like in my... 60s or yeah like you know there's that idea isn't it that you're in your 60s or your 70s and you retire and i just like i kind of almost can't fathom it personally like so i kind of interested to hear hear it from the perspective of guys who i don't know like you like you say you know so maybe sometimes you don't feel like you want to keep getting making people well, laugh i mean i'm in, i'm in that position where i can't ever imagine not working but also I can't ever imagine getting work. So I'm sort of in this weird... Uh, <laughs> I'm, in, I'm in purgatory, really. But I, I, I think, especially if you're an uh, artist, which um, I definitely am, yeah. uh, everything I do is a work of art. Um, I, I, I mean, do you just stop? Do you just decide to stop? I mean, I look at people like comedians or the big comedy figures you know say in our industry who are still going like i look at someone like larry david is still making curvy enthusiasm in his mid-70s mel brooks i think has probably retired but only because he's 95 and he, there's probably the work i mean if the work he was probably, there, he probably, he'd probably he, do he, it yeah and, and it's probably like he's just probably at 95 it's like just the time it takes to go and get a new pen to write a new script. Yeah. It probably, I think he's been doing his... It probably just takes two weeks and then he's just like, ah, oh, I just can't be bothered. So I think he's doing extensive memoirs from what I, I read somewhere yeah, a little see? while ago. So that's he's, probably, he's, still, he's still kind of working, weirdly. Yeah. And, given, and given the amount of work he's done, he's probably doing the best work now. Where it's but just the like, reason it's so interesting, it. to me it's so interesting, right, because, like, if you... like, I, I'm just going to take one random job, right? So let's say you're a cab driver. Well, let's say we're all cab drivers, right? Um, uh, you know, the, the, the reality of that work is I think most cab drivers and listen, if we've got any right, right in uh, and let us know, you would get to a point in your life where you go, well, I'm, I, I don't want to do this anymore because I've done, I've earned my money. Right. And I, I like, I've, I've got a, like some people, I don't know, you might have worked out whatever your life worked out and you're like, right, I don't need to do this anymore. And so I'm going to stop being a cab driver and I'm mm. retiring. But with, like you say, the, the arts, Retirement just seems like some kind of weird abstract idea. It's basically like I'm retiring because I died. That's what. That's kind of yeah, yeah. how it works for people in the arts, right? Unless you're Rick Moranis. Good point. Rick Moranis. People yeah. like Rick Moranis give me hope. He yeah. just <laughs> he just walked away. Yeah, and he seems fine. He made his money. He walked away. Yeah, and he just found something that was bigger than a bigger dream than the one he had. I guess. Mm. And uh, I mean, I feel like that, that's probably a good uh, yardstick to measure the point at which you should retire is when you consider your art form to be just like a job. Mm. Um, or, or it could be the time for a sabbatical, Howard, um, you know, because in the line of the whole work and stuff, maybe, yeah, I, I feel like these kind of, I guess these kind of occupations or vocations are things that you probably want to electively retire from rather than have them retire you. Mm. 
Um, but then that being said, I guess it's it's the good thing about art is that your job will evolve as the consumers of your work kind of evolve as well. Mm. So I imagine if you, you got to the point where you still wanted to be an, a 95-year-old comic like Mel Brooks, you'd probably be able to like not have to go to the trouble of writing a whole screenplay, but probably just sit down in a room with your fans and just read off top lines. Mm. <laughs> and they, Because they might think, well, we're probably not going to be around to be able to watch this film because I'm like 99 years old. So mm. and you just come up with various ideas and Mel Brooks could probably just be in a room just being like, a cowboy returns to a Mesa starring Richard Pryor. And everyone's like, yeah, that sounds fucking good. But the reason it's so interesting is that yeah. I, 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 people, the idea of doing nothing, like that's the, like, let's say we, let's say, right, we'll fast forward, like let's say 30, 40 years, right? The three of us, you know, we'll, we'll go meet in a park, right? And all three of us have got nothing to do. I don't know why we're in a park. Sorry, it's, it's three, December. Us three meeting in a park at the age of 75 and nothing to do, I mean. It sounds sounds quite nice in some respects. Yeah, three yeah. 70-year-old men just meeting <laughs> in a park. Yeah, yeah. Doesn't sound nothing, nothing homoerotic <laughs> about that at in all. In some pact made on a podcast. <laughs> yeah, a for the secret individual <laughs> septuagenarian sex meets. But, but the idea that you would say, like, oh, what are you up to? It's like, well, I've got nothing to do. I don't know. Like, that just seems unnatural. But then there's, like, a naturalness to it, society Gives you <laughs> society suggests that is nature. Oh, stop working now! Like that's the that's what you should do at that age. Well, I guess because society within most normal jobs teaches you that, like, if you don't have your youth and vitality, then your labour is not really good enough to exploit. So that's where <laughs> retirement comes from. But then you got to think about how, in terms of what typical retirement works, is that it's a small. It's not really a big loss for a capitalist system because that's part of the equivalent of a record deal where you work for a organisation or a, a system for long enough. And of the, your earnings, then hmm. you probably get like the equivalent of what a nice artist getting like a record deal where you get the minimum amount and the power structure keeps all the money. And I guess this is different because I guess you can potentially maybe be a bit more lucrative for you. But I don't know when you, it's, it's, this is a different thing to retire from because the essence of what we do in stand up comedy is that you make jokes and then people enjoy them and somehow you navigate that into becoming your line of work. Hmm. So, to return back to that same state where I think, I don't think you can retire necessarily. I guess you just get to the point where what you do is no longer monetized. So that's why you never really have to necessarily retire. Like as a comic, you can always be able to speak publicly and make people laugh because that might be, that's a natural part of your being. So just because you don't get paid for it doesn't mean you don't do it anymore. So it might be quite hard to retire as a comic or as an artist, if it's a natural part of your being to like sing songs and, yeah, the people that listen to them enjoy them. I think retirement in general, and it doesn't matter your job, is is a test of what's whether you've become an interesting person or not. Like, yeah. if <laughs> if if you leave your job, you go, "What am I going to do? I've got nothing to do." It's probably because you haven't developed any interests or hobbies over your sixty-five or seventy Good years point. of life. That's why lottery winners you... always say they always say, I'm still gonna work because they spent the entirety of their life just gambling on the lottery. And yeah, now yeah, they've yeah. won, it's like, oh that large part of my life where I focused on realizing this fortune has gone. So gotta still yeah. have purpose. Well, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I mean I think if if you like you know, you can still travel if you've got good people, if you if you're if you want to develop new skills, if you want to do things. I mean there's, there's no reason Retire, retirement should be an opportunity, I suppose. Yeah, definitely. Um, but 
I, I say that as someone who already knows, and it's a long way away, I hope. I know I will botch that opportunity. I mean, there is no... I will be here in 30 years sitting in this same room. I've never unpacked a fucking thing going, God, I, I really could have done more there, but... Probably could have sold crack in here. That's yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nice little nest egg. God, Howard, Howard really likes smoking weed in this place. I mean, hasn't he got a, hasn't he got a wife? <laughs> it's funny to think about how that that sense of, like you say, retirement being an opportunity, right? You have this opportunity to pursue the thing that you never pursued or you didn't have time to pursue. And so you had, you, you maybe started it, but you never, mm. like you could, you know, you could write that book or, or learn an instrument or, or any number of things really. And, and yet you might just end up watching all of the Rocky films, you know, and that, and yeah. I, you know what I mean? If you have a week, like, <laughs> I've recently watched all of the Rocky films and I, and as I got to the end of them, I was like, well, you've seen those before and you've watched them again and you really enjoyed it. But at the same time, that you even much by watching something you haven't seen before would have been better use of your time yeah. than just rewatching all of the Rocky films. But Howard, there's also the uh, Rocky cinematic universe. <laughs> yeah, of course, got, with Creed. Yeah, because you've got two Creed films now. And, and I, I didn't get to those. By the time I got to Rocky Balboa and he's like running a restaurant and he's like 50 odd and he's having that fight, I was like, this is, I've I've probably spent enough time with this character this week. Um, and it, but it, it was an interesting example of, oh, look, you're not doing anything useful with your time. Uh, and but maybe to some people, watching the Rocky films is an enriching for the first, like Cormac McCarthy there's a good chance he's re- retired and he's never going to write another novel. And maybe he's like, I've spent all my life in high literary circles and all I ever wanted to do was sit and watch the Rocky films. And so that's, maybe that's what he's doing. <laughs> yeah. it is if, if, if everyone has a plan as, as individual as everyone's dreams and aspirations are, their retirement plans should be the same. Because by the same token, Howard, there's a, one of the reasons I don't watch a lot of things is that I plan to take the time to catch up on a lot of iconic box sets mm. when I do retire or I do have the time. So maybe I can just be like an old guy just reviewing old films and box sets mm. from, a very, from a very old perspective. And I could be like, this came out when I was this age and I was doing this. Now let's see what, how I would, if I would have enjoyed it. And I'd been like, there's a reason I didn't see this before. <laughs> I, That's a really good idea for a show, actually. Yeah, yeah. That's really yeah. good. I'm going uh, to cycle, I think. That's my plan for, for retirement. I'm, I, I, I find cycling kind of obviously keeps you quite fit, but also mm. you get to kind of look at the world and, you know, if I don't have any responsibilities in my house, I'll just cycle just around, just yeah, cy- yeah. just constantly cycle. Where, where to though, Howard? Because- well, this is the idea. You just kind of, if you don't have any worries or you don't have any kind of concerns, you literally have a, you know, backpack, cycle, we'll see where we end up. Sounds homeless to me. <laughs> Welcome to the club, Howard. Yeah, exactly. back with sounds, Sean in the crack den. Sounds um, pretty homeless. Dane, uh, thank you for answering that question, lads, and I'll see you in 40 years in that park. Um, but, um, Dane, it's over to you for the final question of today's lovely show. Well, I was going to ask a question about how you guys would feel about me opening recreational homoerotic parks. <laughs> But uh, uh, I think we covered that now. Yeah, um, we did that the other week uh, on another episode. Uh, <laughs> that sounds that sounds like a four decade long project, and I'm all in for the completion. <laughs> yeah, it can, it, can, it it will happen yeah. one way or another. I just need to get the right investors. Um, so my question, I hope, takes it in uh, is contextual to the previous questions that we've had. Um, but uh, yeah, taking into account retirement and uh, various different settings. Uh, I wanted to ask 
you, Sean. If you had a choice of living in a fictional setting for a sitcom or a film uh, permanently, so this could, you can interpret this as being quite dystopian or utopian or mm. surrealist. It, it's absolutely your choice. Yeah. But let's say part of your retirement is that through like use of virtual reality that you're able to spend your days in a universe that appears in a TV show or even a music video or a film. Yeah. Which which universe would you pick? <laughs> what a what a brilliant question. <laughs> Do you think Ma- about this a lot, Sean? <laughs> no, well the thing is I'm a I I had a chat about this last night with someone. I'm a, I'm a big Star Trek fan. And I think there is a sort of something hidden within every Star Trek fan that wouldn't it be great to live yeah. in that world? And I guess, I mean... It's the, very well thought out, isn't it? It's a very well thought out world. And it's a utopia. The idea is it's built on a utopian yeah. ideal of, you know, moneyless and humans mm-hmm. are altruistic and... No one drinks. Explore the, we explore the galaxy. And they, they, read, drink. They, read, they drink, but it's more like, you know, luminous and... Luminous, yeah, yeah, it's like cool. blue, blue juices and it's cool. No one's hung over in Star Trek that I've seen. Mm. No, no, there's one There's one bit when Worf drinks too much Romulan ale. Uh, uh, Worf the Klingon. But it's yeah. not, to be honest, I, I don't find it funny. Um, <laughs> so probably, I mean, I guess I'd say that. That's the, I mean, what... I mean, I'd, it would be weird if I went, oh, I'd live in Only Fools and Horses. So go, well, I can just, you know, I'm, not, I'm not that far. I live in South London anyway. I'm not that different. Um, it could be and actually, hard. weirdly enough, the block of flats, the, the, the council block from the opening sequence of Only Fools and Horses was literally opposite where my dad uh, and grew up and the council mm. flat my grandma lived in. So I used to see it. And uh, so I've actually, I've actually lived there, theoretically. So I guess I'll say Star Trek. I mean, it's a, it's a good question. Um, I, part of me thinks Mad Max. I don't know why I think I'd thrive there. Are we, talking, I Mel, I, are we I, talking Mel Gibson Mad Max or uh, Fury Road Mad Max? Mm. I think any of them. I do think it's like I, I wouldn't be a leader. I wouldn't be in a position of power. Mm-hmm. But I think I would get good enough at hand jobs that I'd have a place in the, in the pyramid <laughs> in a post-apocalyptic society. I, think, I can't believe I that's think, the future you're picking for yourself, Sean. I, I, look, you have to... Adaptation, I, Howard. And, and maybe even Star Trek, you know, there's stuff we don't see and maybe even the Enterprise, they go, well, we've got the... Yeah, maybe, maybe I'm going to predict... The hand I'm, job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's not a lot of hand jobs in Star Trek as far as I'm aware, Sean. That you re- know of, Howard. No, well, yeah, we yeah. can ask ex-guests Marcus Bronzy and Ari Styler because they're big Star Trek fans. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they might have some information on that. Um, it's a really good question, though. What well, are there um, any hand jobs in Star Trek or Dane's original question? Well, no, the hand jobs in Star question. Trek. I think D- D- Dane's yeah. was merely a, a, an hors d'oeuvre to the real question. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. <laughs> Who has the strongest grip, the Romulan <laughs> or the Vulcan? When it comes to your, your hand job, and you know what? I'd say it's the Borg. And if you do give one member of the Borg the hand job, does the entire hive mind oh, enjoy yeah. that? I'd love right? that. I'm going to make. I'm going to make 50 billion cyborgs ejaculate on that. <laughs> yeah. I think one of the problems with moving into a fictional universe is the threat of the evil forces within that universe. So, for example, if you'd have said the Lord of the Rings, I think that's like a universe in which you're kind of under a lot of threat if you're one of the, the hobbits, right? And, and like, I don't think that threat ever really goes if, away. If you're a hobbit, but if you're from the, the uh, world of men or elves... 
But weren't Hobbits like the best? They were the best off, weren't they? Because they were halflings. Yeah, I just think the stakes are so high. The stakes are so high, you know? Like Marvel uh, Universe, God knows when the next fucking nightmare's coming along to ruin our universe. Maybe maybe that's it. Maybe I need to move somewhere like... like everybody loves Raymond or something like that. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what I was thinking. I'm going to sort New Jersey. Would it be easy for you to say a place where you definitely would not want to live? Mm. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I'm tempted to suggest a place. I, I thought I, I brought up this film with someone, uh, 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 a friend the other day, which is, I think the universe of the Running Man film with Arnold Schwarzenegger, if you don't know that, listeners, mm. you're making a massive error in not watching Arnold Schwarzenegger's seminal film, The Running Man, which, just to give you the, the context, is about a dystopian future in 2014, I think. Uh, so about seven years ago this happened, um, where television... Uh, the, 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 everything Django, Django have been nominated for the Mercury <laughs> Prize. Oh, no. <laughs> but the, in this dystopian future, the world is totally dominated by one TV show, which is called The Running Man, where... People who have committed crimes are hunted down until they're murdered by these kind of gladiators like you'd see on the TV show gladiators, but they've got chainsaws instead of just like, you know, mm. on a gym machine or whatever, you know, hanging on a gym rope or whatever it is they were they used to do on, on our version of the gladiators. Um, and there's something quite interesting about that dystopian future because it feels like, I don't know, it's not that, it's, it's bad, but it's not that bad. It's like kind of quite conceivable that it could actually happen now, really. Well, I mean, the thing is, a lot of where we're living, and obviously the world is actually, you know, it's still a decent place to live. But people always talk about, our oh, big corporations, you know, what happens if everything... It's like, well, basically four banks control yeah. the vast majority of the world now. So we're sort of... I'm not saying we're living in a dystopian future, but one is achievable by about four people just clicking their fingers if they wanted it. Yeah, Um Maybe, I don't know, there's something appealing about either the far future or the far past, like a sort of, go back mm. to a, the age of pirates or something. But I, I don't know. I think. I, well, it depends what kind of pirates. Are we talking like pirates of the Caribbean? Because, I mean, that seems to be fine where, I mean, if, you, if you're submerged in water, like the salt doesn't affect your face or your hair. As Johnny Depp has proved in the entire franchise, <laughs> that's always cool. That's so fine, and you're think, immortal uh, too. Lots of opportunities for immortality there. I think the thing with Pirates of the Caribbean and that whole thing is, it looks really fun. It's great, but I bet it stinks. I mean, I yeah. bet it stinks. That's the one thing you really forget. Stinks. You go, ah, yeah. God, they've, what, they've all got gangrene. You know? Oh yeah, it bloody stinks. I mean, you say it's the thing you forget. It's the first thing I remember whenever <laughs> I watch a period drama. Like they must be constant. I would constantly be asking. What is that smell? Like in Ridley Scott's epic Gladiator, I'd be like, what the fuck is that smell? <laughs> like Game of Thrones, I'd be like, what the fuck am I smelling? Is that dragon shit? This fucking stinks. <laughs> and just, you know, in a world without like access, regular access to running water and yeah. hygiene products, I was like, what the fucking stinks around yeah. here? Yeah, that's why you've probably got to just play it safe and just go for like a nice sheen... Yeah. You know, Disney sitcom or something. Yeah, nice, something nice and sterile with ridiculous dimensions or like friends where you uh, can you can own and Manha- live in a Manhattan apartment yeah. on a waitress's salary. That's always nice. That would be killer. That would be yeah. killer. 
or Frasier. Frasier. You could have a, like a weekly, you could be a weekly, <laughs> a weekly psychiatrist on the radio yeah. and well, live at the top of a skyscraper. Seems like we're exactly. not aiming that high, guys. No offence, but... Uh, <laughs> even King of Queens, where you can just be a delivery driver and still have an attractive wife and mm. be able just, to see your friends Just living you in want. some kind of mid-90s sitcom in like Seattle yeah, or New Jersey. Yeah, life where you can... You can but barely, you can do that yeah. now, guys. You can go barely and do turn that up, barely, turn up, barely turn up for work and still have a two-car two garage and a basement. And, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, basically, I, I want to live in a TV universe which hasn't... It's sort of modern enough that I understand it, but the writers hadn't come to grips with the idea that unions were over. Yeah, <laughs> and, so, exactly. and so living standards were about to vary massively. Exactly. Anywhere, for me, it's anywhere but Delta City and Robocop. Nice. Ooh. Hundred percent, man. Yeah. My God, things are really bad in Delta City. And yeah. but I, can I tell you something shit about me and RoboCop? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> the only RoboCop I've seen was the 2014 one. <laughs> oh, Sean, I haven't seen come any on, of them. Sean. I haven't seen any of them. <laughs> I haven't seen the Hogan original. <laughs> come on, man. It's, yeah. a real, it's, a really, it's really worth watching. And um, if you if you uh, if you can wait if you, 40 if years, if you want to we'll, see we'll what we'll watch it on our phones after, in the park. If you want to see what it looks like after these uh, suburban utopias as depicted in late 80s and early 90s mm. sitcoms, what happens next when the recession hits and the money does run out and the unions are smashed, then you need to watch Robocop. I'll check it out. I'll check it out tonight. Uh, yeah, it's uh, I mean, it's also, uh, you know, not to go serious film geek about it, but like... Paul Verhoeven, the guy that directed it, always gets really good moments of satire into yeah, uh, into his films. So there's actually it's actually quite funny at, at times. A bit like if you ever watch Starship Troopers, Sean. I mean, yeah, it's yeah, funny. I love that. It's yeah. funny if you don't watch it when you're eight, Sean. Like I made the mistake of. Oh, it's horrific! Yeah, horrific. Yeah, the creation horrendous. of RoboCop still haunts me today. Yeah, oh no, I had nightmares for years, mate. About <laughs> yeah. that. Years and years. Years. That was kind of one of those things, though. When I was growing up, RoboCop. Fell Felt like it was kind of aimed at, not aimed at kids. But at there was like kids, no, Robocop. He's a Robocop. It looked like, it, like I was interested in Robocop because it had the same kind of like sentimentality as like any of the 80s cartoons, where it's like, not only is this an amazing show with very clear distinctions between who's good and evil, but also what you're looking at is what's going to be very easily become a fully articulated action figure. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I was in. It felt yeah, like, know, like biker, airbrush. Mike, biker, yeah, Mike biker Mars or something. Exactly. Yeah. It was like it was like you know, eighties airbrush, the siren. It was you know, for someone who probably was so enamoured with Western imperialism at the time, go Eagles, go Allied forces, go Robocop, and then you're yeah. like, oh my god! Like even when you realise that it's actually a faceless um, and soulless corporation that has basically bought the police and therefore and controls all of his policy. Yeah. Hence the reason that Robocop exists. And you understand the satire behind it. You're like, this is a real wake up call for a lot of kids. I mean, my after I saw Robocop, my dreams were over. I was mm. like, there is no hope for this society. Yeah, sounds right. like that's exactly the type of film I need to watch today. Yeah, yeah you'll definitely. really enjoy it. You'll really yeah, enjoy it. Really it's interesting it. thinking about fictional universes, and 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 it's interesting that you've gone for the sitcoms. And I can understand why, Sean, because it, it, it's the it's the universes with the least drama. Uh, most things that you think about Star Wars, Star Trek, Marvel, um, anything Disney, like most, not all of Disney, but like occasional, it's all a bit stressful, isn't it? It's a bit stressful. I mean, stressful. No, Disney's not stressful. Disney's so Disney worlds are so nice. Julia Roberts played a prostitute that ended up falling in love with a hedge fund manager and living happily ever after. <laughs> and in real life, we know that most sex workers that relocate to Los Angeles that are picked up by billionaires mm. doesn't really go that well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, you know. Yeah. 
I can understand if you were like an aspiring sex worker, you're like, I want to live in the world of pretty woman when you're going to be on the street, maybe for a little bit. And before you even take your first drug or use your first needle, a billionaire will come and save you and fly you by private jet. Who looks yeah. like Richard Gere. Who looks like Richard Gere, as opposed to his friend who was like, what the fuck are you doing? That's a prostitute. I, you know, I, th- I think for me, if I have to choose, I would oh, yeah. say for me, it's easily going to be Springfield. Yeah. Oh, that would be fun. Got yeah. to be. I think the thing is, though, if you actually have to live there, I think the incompetence would... It depends. Are you? Do you become one of those people? I think you can or are you hang, able to... hang on as people. But you, I mean, you can interact with them if you go to the particular haunts and, you know, the main haunts, mm. like if you were at most Tavern or you've got a job at the nuclear power plant or you regularly shopped at the Quickie Mart, then I could understand, yeah, you could interact with certain people. But, you know, Springfield's a very big place. Um, and there's different parts where we don't necessarily see, but I suppose, I mean, I could also maybe live in um, Capital City, which is a neighbour Springfield, or Shelbyville. Mm. I think I would pick, uh, if I could pick anyone, I'd pick the world of like uh, one of the Jerry Anderson puppet shows, like Thunderbirds, because oh, I nice. would like to feel like my flexibility is on par with the rest of the human race. Yeah. I'd like to feel like, oh, I'm, I'm doing all right here physically. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, you're not, you're not going to go to the toilet uh, and be lined up in a urinal with other Marians and be, marionettes and be like, what's wrong with my wood? Yeah, exactly. My there wood. Well, all marionettes. <laughs> well, it's been a fun episode today, hasn't it, Dane? We've, we've talked about retiring. Uh, we've talked about alcohol. And we've talked about fictional universes that we'd like to live in. That feels like quite a good mix, really, doesn't it? I think, yeah, those things are all very well linked. I think if you imbibe enough alcohol, you can create a false reality for yourself where you feel comfortable and uh, would hopefully like to retire. So I think it all makes sense in a roundabout way. Perfect. Um, so thank you very much for putting that together, Sean, despite your hangover. Well, I'm, I'm all right. I think I'm... Uh, I, genuinely, I think having this chat just sort of knocked it out of me. So I'm, uh, I'm now yes. ready for more punishment. Good. Good to hear. Well, yeah. um, once you've uh, gotten through the alcohol ringer, where can our audience find out more about your good works and upcoming projects? I'm uh, on all the social medias. Well, I'm not. I'm not, actually. I'm not. I'm not on TikTok, uh, but I'm on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. Just look up Sean McLaughlin comedy or Sean McLaughlin, and I'm sure you'll find me if you can Make- spell my name. I sort of realise now I have the. I've basically got the third or fourth most popular spelling of both first and surname. <laughs> but uh, give it a give it a bash, and then I've got stuff on Spotify, on YouTube, and I'm going on tour next year. And yeah, that's it. That's that's lots of stuff. Yeah, just 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 do it. Just get or just just quit your job. Uh, <laughs> dedicate your whole life to me, and I'll I'll do you right. Yeah, and and yeah. The, and the, and the albums on Spotify, listeners, uh, are a real joy. I I actually worked out to one. Uh, recently, Sean, uh, and it and it and it hindered me because I was laughing. Well, there so you go. That's, that's a real that's a real endorsement there. Sign of great work. So enjoy it while exercising, or enjoy it with a glass of wine. It's yeah. your choice. We're here to observe, not to judge on this podcast audience. So. That's <laughs> Uh, thanks, Sean, and uh, enjoy drinking uh, again today. Uh, sounds like you're off to do that. So. Well, it's just, I've got a Saturday off, which right. I never normally have, and my wife is in a, at a Hindu, so I've just... The, cl- the clouds have opened for me. This is it. Uh, yeah, and now yeah. you can drink without thinking, I'll drink this bit, but I've got to count my units because I've got a gig later. Yeah, exactly. So it's very it's rare. Always, exactly. So enjoy uh, and have one for me, mate, as we say in this country. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, guys. <laughs> 
You've been listening to Dane Baptiste Questions Everything, hosted by Dane Baptiste. For more from Dane, go to danebaptiste.co.uk or follow him on Twitter at DaneBapTweets or Instagram at DaneSnapTeast. Our guest was Sean McLaughlin. You can follow Sean on Twitter and Instagram at Sean McLaughlin. The show is produced by me, Howard Cohen. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at the Howard Cohen. The show is mixed and mastered by Audio Culture. You can follow Audio Culture on Instagram at We Are Audio Culture. Please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to us. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at DBQE Podcast. Thanks for listening, guys. And remember, question everything. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com.